I'm the guy that came up too early during announcements. I'm a little disoriented this morning, and let me tell you why. It is the, the Salt Company, our college ministry, our kickoff is this Thursday, and I, yes, yes, you can be excited about that. And I am nearly a 30-year-old man, but I've been out there running around with these students, and so I'm just a little, I'm a little out of it. I got a little bit of a sore throat. Um, quick story I got to tell you about last night. It's one of those things that it's like I gotta, I have to share this now or else I'm going to start twisting the story over time, and I just want to just be as upfront and honest with you as I can. So we're playing Capture the Flag last night on campus on, on Bascom Hill, if you guys are familiar with UW's campus. So this big, it's a pretty crazy place to play Capture the Flag. There's all kinds, it's like a hill, and there's all kinds of nooks and crannies around these buildings. And uh, the other team was hiding their flag basically in this like bunker underneath a parking garage. And I was playing offense, and we kind of identified the general area where the flag was, and we're kind of sending people in, and everybody's getting tagged. And I look, and I see that it's like five of our girl uh, Salt Company students guarding it. And so I think, like, okay, I'm just going to run in there, and this is going to be totally fine. So I, uh, you know, I run in there, and it ends up being a, a showdown between me and, and Elena Garncars, who's one of our, our student leaders with Salt Company. And it's just me and her in the garage. And again, this is one of those things where we're the only two people in there. We're the only two people that know the story. And I'm going to be tempted to tell it a different way over time, so I'm just going to tell you now. I'm in there, and I'm doing, I'm juking her out, I'm running circles around her, dancing around, and then I'm, we're, about, we're about five feet away from each other, and it was like one of those moments in the, in the movies where the person kind of like gets stabbed, and you don't see it, and then they look down, and it's like, she just lunges at me out of nowhere, <laughs> tags me, and alone in that garage, I was just totally ashamed of, of what had happened, and I had to, had to walk back to my side and respawn, and then I came back out, and we ended up losing that round, but it's things like that that make me sore and a little bit uh, disoriented this morning, but so excited to, to get to share with you. Guys, if, if you're just jumping into to what we've been doing, we're actually closing out a series today called 16 Words, Why We Exist. Okay, so we're looking at the 16 words that, that we've kind of chosen to describe our mission and our vision as a church, focusing in on who we are and what we're about. And so, so here it is, just in summary, okay? We exist to share the gospel and our lives for the glory of God and the good of Madison. That's who Doxa is. That's, that's, our, that's our DNA. That's where we're going. And we've just been kind of unpacking uh, these words. And kind of like a way to just spin this statement, like what this means, guys, it means that, that God didn't, he didn't uh, rent a helicopter and then just fly over Madison and drop gospel flyers all over the place with, with information about Jesus. We exist to share the gospel in our lives. Like he sent us. He sent you. He sent me. He puts you in your current apartment, your dorm room. He puts you in your home next to your neighbors so that you could share a, a personal message about a personal Savior named Jesus in the context of your life, sharing the gospel and your life with these people over time, truth through relationship. That's what our church is about. It's about us sharing this message as people to people, all for God's glory and then for the good of Madison. And last week, that's what we focused on was that last part, for the good of Madison. And we talked about how, how we're, we want to be for the good of all people, like loving all people, even the forgotten and vulnerable people here in Madison. Like our effort of sharing the gospel in our lives, we want it to make a good impact for all people. And we've actually, we're going to go through the book of Acts this fall, and it was supposed to start next week, but we've actually just kind of decided to put pause on that for three weeks so that we could actually unpack uh, for the good of Madison loving all people, even the forgotten and vulnerable, just a little bit more. So for the next three weeks after today, we're actually going to dive more into to that 
what it means to love our neighbors, what it means to love the forgotten and vulnerable. So we can get that right as a church from the beginning. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to close out the series by looking at For the Good of Madison, part two. All right? And what part two is, is it means if on one hand we're for the good of all people, even the vulnerable, even the forgotten, another thing that we mean when we say for the good of Madison is that we are for the good of the next generation of Madison. Okay? For the good of Madison, next generation. That's one of just the, the deep values that's in the DNA of our church. And we didn't just come up with these words randomly. And so just a little bit about my story. So I'm originally from Michigan, went to, to school at a school called Bowling Green in Ohio. And my parents raised me to know and love Jesus. And they, they did everything right for us growing up to kind of put me in the spot where when I went off to college, it was kind of time for me to choose. And so I don't think I knew him upon going to college, but I kind of had some of just the disconnected dots of, of what the gospel was, what the cross was about. And when I was a freshman college student, I was playing football at Bowling Green, and I actually, I hurt my knee uh, in practice, and it was one of those moments where God just kind of put pause on my life. He, he opened up some space where I was a little bit more susceptible for, for him sending somebody into my life to, to reach me with the gospel. And so my uh, wife now, girlfriend then, Caitlin, we were, we were in our freshman dorm that had like a cafeteria on the second floor, and I'm on crutches, and we're just crutching up to, to eat dinner, minding our own business. It's like November of my freshman year. And as we're, we're crutch, or I'm crutching over to the cafeteria, Caitlin's walking with me, I see this huge guy on crutches standing in front of a door next to the cafeteria, almost looking like he's like the bouncer to get into this, this side room. Okay, and so just social dynamics here, like I'm on crutches, he's on crutches, I'm like five inches away from him, we make eye contact, so I have to stop and we have to just kind of swap stories of, of what happened to us. And he goes on to tell me, like, yeah, I used to play football at Bowling Green, too. This was my 13th knee surgery, so good, good luck for you at number one. So I'm feeling good about myself at that point. And, and as we, we start to get talking, he's like, yeah, so we have, like, a, a student Bible study happening in here if you guys would want to come in. And this guy's, like, 6'5", 280 pounds or something, and, and just, like, like, leaning over on his crutches looking at me. And you don't say no to that guy when you're a freshman and you, and you walk in. So, so Caitlin and I, we just kind of wander in and... And I remember that night, I don't, I don't remember a ton about like the content of what we talked about, but I remember seeing people that were my age following Jesus, talking about the Bible, opening up our lives, praying together. And then this, this guy on crutches named Rob started to, to reach out to me. And, and he, I remember we were, we were at Rob and Lisa Warren's house the, like the next week and she made us like chicken pot pie and we're college freshmen. And this was, this was the beginning of, of my story. I, I met Jesus that, that winter somewhere. Like the gospel just lit up for me and I understood who he was and I started following him. And the point of that story, guys, is just to show you that, that in, in my DNA, in, in Rob's DNA, and so many of your DNA here, it's like because there was a church that reached out to you when you were in, in high school, when you were in middle school, when you were in college, you became a Christian and you're following him now. So many of you, that, that is your story and that's our story. And so today what we're going to talk about is this, this value for the good of Madison to be for the good of the next generation. So let's first just kind of ask the question, why we love the next generation? And then we're actually going to focus in a little bit on why, why college students. Like what, what does that have to do with it? So first, why the next generation? Um, we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 if you want to turn there in your Bibles. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to get there in about 10, 12 minutes or so. So I just want to give you guys a little heads up. So number one, just considering this question of, of why are we committed to, to the next generation? 
And what we see, guys, is really two things. Both, both the Bible and the nature of Madison itself demand this of us, demands that, that we be a church that values and pursues the next generation. And so first, thinking about the Bible, you know, God, his promises throughout the Bible, they've always extended across cultures and across generations. In Genesis chapter 12, what we see happening is that humanity has been separated from God by sin, and then God wants to start calling back together a, a new family, his, his new children, his new people, and he starts to make promises. And so he, he promises to this man named Abraham that he's going to give him more spiritual descendants than the stars in the sky. So God says, Abraham, look up at the stars. Like, as many stars as you see, those are going to be your spiritual descendants, my family that I'm going to build through you. I'm, I'm making you a promise. And as Abraham sat there and he, and he listened to God make this, this crazy promise into his life that he was going to be a part of, he has to know that like these stars, I'm not going to see this happen in my lifetime. This is going to be across the world, across culture. It's going to be across time, across generations. So God makes this promise. Psalm 105 is going to come up on the screen. And this is the psalmist reflecting on this promise to Abraham. This is what it says. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac. For a thousand generations, God has been in the business from the beginning of redeeming a people across generations, which means we have to reach the next generation. God's people also in the Bible have always functioned like a family. That's one of the predominant metaphors that God uses to describe what it means to be a follower of him, a family raising up the next generation. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 that will come up on the screen. God gives Moses a command to Israel, and his command is this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And then fast forward to the New Testament in Titus chapter 2, Paul gives us this vision of, of the older men and the older women in the church passing down what they know about following Jesus to the younger men and the younger women. So when we think about having a commitment to the next generation, we're not even so much talking about like a, a demographic statement of our church. Like we want to be a young church. We want to be a hip church. Like we're not, that's not what we're saying. We're talking about a, a dynamic within our church of passing on the gospel to the next person, to the next person. And we just, we see this in the Bible from the beginning. The pattern of the church is this, a church family that is passing on the gospel to the next generation. Psalm 145 is a, is a passage that really, I think it just captures our whole mission statement, but it's, it's something that's in, in psalm form here in the Bible. And so listen to this. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. So there's our name, right? Doxa. Doxa means glory. The Lord is great. His, his greatness is unsearchable. That means we're never going get to get bored learning more about God. Even one day in heaven, it'll be unsearchable riches of his glory that we are exploring, and it'll never get boring for us. Listen to this. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They, so now he's talking about this next generation. They, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and sing aloud 
of your righteousness. So this dynamic of you have the glory of God and then you have this imperative, this commitment to passing it on. One generation commending it to the next. And then here's the message. And this, this is so good, guys. This is, this is the message that the next generation here in Madison, the next generation that's here in this room and that's not yet in this room, needs to hear. Listen to this. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Doesn't our city need more of that message? The Lord is, is slow to anger. How many, how many people walking around in this city, they don't know that? They don't know that, that at the cross is Jesus hung there. That was God saying, I, I need to punish sin, but I am so slow to anger, I'm giving you a way out. I'm going to let Jesus bear the sin of the world for you. Sin has to be judged. Evil has to be punished. But I'm sending my son to take it because I am slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So many people, let's, let's think about the next generation here in the city, are, are at risk of walking around their whole lives piling up burdens, piling up weights, piling up sin, piling up guilt because they don't know this message. They might have seen a cross, they might have seen a cross necklace, they might have heard some disconnected truths about the gospel, but they don't look at Jesus, they don't look at the cross and think, oh my gosh, God is, he is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love for me. I can come to him. I can come to him. He is gracious and merciful. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he made. That's, that's our message, Doxa, sharing the gospel and our lives for the glory of God, his unsearchable greatness, and the good of Madison, all people, and the next generation. So that's us in a nutshell, Psalm 145. Our commitment to the next generation, it's, it's, it's rooted in our DNA and our story that God's been writing, but it's also just, it's rooted in the dynamic of what God has been doing throughout history through his church, a family passing on the gospel to the next generation. But it's not only the Bible that, that demands we be a church that is committed to the next generation. It's also Madison itself. So the Isthmus newspaper, it put out an article this week, and the title was just Millennial Magnet, talking about Madison, right? So, so this is a, a direct quote from the article. A recent analysis conducted by the National Association of Realtors found that of the 100 largest metros in the U.S., Madison is the top destination for millennials. Of people who moved here within the last year, three of four were born between 1980 and 1998. This is the highest percentage in the nation. So, so young, younger people, like the next generation, they're, they're flocking to cities in general. But Madison right now, 75% of people that are moving here are in that demographic of the next generation. And so the next generation doesn't just mean millennials. We're also talking college students. We're talking high schoolers, middle schoolers, like, like everybody who is next. But when you think about like, what this article is saying, it's, it's, it's young people moving here, many of them probably single, but then they're starting families and they're having kids. And we have an opportunity in this city to be a church family that is here for them. And that's just millennials, but then if you think about what's happening this week on campus all across the city, if you've had to try to drive through downtown, you've seen, right, the traffic for everybody that's moving in. You've seen people, like, bringing U-Hauls to unpack into their dorm rooms. Like, that is, that is not going to, I just want to tell them, like, I'm sorry, that's not going to work. But they're doing it, right, because there's over 50,000 college students at Madison Area Technical College, at Edgewood College, and at UW-Madison that moved in this week and are getting ready to go. Like, the nature of the city that we're in demands that we be a church, a church family that loves and is committed to the next generation. 
So this is our vision, guys. Like our, our vision, what I'm saying here, like is not, okay? This is what I'm not saying. Our vision is to be a young, hip, trendy church. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is because of the Bible and because of the context, the place that God has put us, we have to be a church family that is for the good of Madison, which means we have to be committed to loving the next generation that's emerging all around us. And so guys, from, like from the beginning, we've prioritized ministries like, like Docs of Kids. And so, so Natalie Carlon and then Jess Schmidt now following in her, her footsteps has like set us up for, for success in the future. And so many of you have been, have been like helping out down there and serving. Like we are committed to that ministry because we want to be a church family that takes care of our children and teaches them the gospel. Middle school and high school, like that's one of those things that, that our heart just naturally gravitates towards that is like, what is it going to look like as needs and opportunities arise for us to actually start something officially for, for middle school and high schoolers that are emerging around us? And then as we look just outside of our church to Madison as a whole, you guys know like with, with this whole forward campaign to purchase the building, some of the initial things that excite us about this building is its location central to all of Madison. And then also just the capacity that this facility could have to be for the good of the city, specifically as we think about Madison's youth. Like, what would it look like? And these these are just, what I'm saying is we we don't have, like, concrete plans yet, but I'm saying we have, like, the key ingredient of passion and vision is there of, like, what would it look like to leverage our building for the next generation? Sam Roberts, who was just up here last week, he talked to you guys about how how we're right now trying to form an official partnership with an elementary school in Madison so that we can work for the good of that school. These are all things that they just kind of flow out of us because it's who we are. But what I want to do with just kind of the remaining time and look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 is actually talk about college students because it's such an interesting aspect of the next generation. It's this subset of the next generation that, that honestly historically over the last 100 years, it's been neglected by the church because, because they're hard to reach. It's hard to get a church gospel presence on campus because, and here's, here's just like one major factor, unlike like children that would grow up in this church or middle school or high schoolers, their parents aren't here and their parents aren't gonna help pay the bills for them to be here. That's kind of what happens with students is they basically, they, they move away from home and they go to universities all over the country and their families aren't there. So for a college student to join our church and to be a part of a gospel-loving, Jesus-preaching church, they're not going to be able to kind of support themselves financially to be here. So it's not really, it's not very economically strategic to invest in reaching out to college students. But our heart says no to those economics and says we have to figure out a way to love them. We're a church for the next generation, and that includes the campus. And so number two, second movement of this message is I just want to talk about why college students our heart is for all of the next generation for the good of the city, but let, like, let's just talk about them for a second and, and help you guys even understand that. So this is where we're going to look at 2 Timothy. Sorry for making you wait so long on that, all right? So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And what I'll tell you about, guys about this is Paul here, he, he's writing to a young pastor named Timothy, and he's, he's standing at the edge of his, the end of his time in ministry as a pastor and also the end of his time as a human being. He's about to die for his ministry of the gospel. And he's trying to pass on everything he knows to Timothy. And he has this urgency about him because he knows at this point in the Christian movement, if he doesn't pass on the gospel to future leaders, the gospel dies with him and with his generation. And you're not going to see anything about college students mentioned in here. I wonder if anyone was thinking I was going to try to twist that. No, there's no, there's no university students in the Bible. Instead, what we're going to see is we're just going to see three principles rise out of here that really, they help our hearts move towards the campus. And so let's read 2 Timothy 2. 
verses 1 and 2. So Paul to Timothy, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he talks to Timothy as his child, and here, here's three principles of what Paul is saying to Timothy that I want to apply to our heart to reach the next generation of college students. Principle number one is urgency. Urgency. Like the whole letter of 2 Timothy, you, see, you feel Paul's urgency just dripping off of the page. He says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to them. He says, Timothy, you've seen my life, you've seen my gospel, you heard, we've had conversations, we've done life and ministry together. What you've heard from me, the gospel, if it doesn't get passed on to you and to the next person, to the next person, it will die with me. I am urgent about this. Verse one, Paul talks about your personal experience of the gospel being strengthened by grace, naturally leading to a personal responsibility to pass on the gospel. We personally experience the gospel, and then we're urgent to pass it on to the next person. If you drive around college campuses today, guys, what you're going to see is you're going to see uh, football stadiums that are packed, right? Packed with people flocking there to, to, to worship, right? To make much of what's happening on the field. And you're going to see empty churches. On Saturday, you're going to see packed stadiums. Sunday, you're going to see empty churches. And the churches, they're, they're useful as parking lots for the football games. Now, that's not a blanket statement about just, like, the total reality everywhere. There are, there are great churches doing great work all over the country, and, like, we want to be a part of that. And there were churches doing that here in Madison before we got here. But we are so pumped to jump in and be a part of that mix because on a, on a large-scale thing, like, it, it is not happening. Packed football stadiums, empty churches. I was sitting there on, on State Street yesterday kind of writing out this message, and as I was even thinking about this point, I saw... Just family after family, parent after parent, walking with their, with their college student, probably the freshman, up and down State Street, kind of doing their final thing before they drop them off. And as I watch them, you know the, the things that are filling those parents' hearts is they're just wanting the best for their student, right, as they drop them off to school. And you think specifically about the parents that, that tried to raise their kids to know and love Jesus. And as I'm watching these parents walk up and down State Street, what I know as a reality is they're basically dropping them off a four-year cliff unless the church is there to catch them with the gospel. It's a four-year cliff. It's, it's like a, a wasteland for the gospel on campus. There, there, isn't, there aren't things happening on campus apart from churches and Christians going there and trying to be there for these students. And so if you spend your whole life trying to raise your, your uh, future college student to know and love Jesus, when you take them to college, unless the church is there to be a home away from home, it's just not going to happen. So, so we have an urgent responsibility. Paul says to Timothy, the gospel dies with me unless I pass it to you and you pass it to the next person. And in the same way as a culture, unless we get the gospel through the church to students that are on campus right now, the gospel presence dies with that generation. Here's the next principle, okay? So number one, urgency. Number two, opportunity. Opportunity, and I'm, I'm so hopeful with this one. Okay, so, so Paul looks at Timothy and he says, entrust the gospel to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That word men, people debate whether it, it could be translated people or men depending on the context. Paul talks a lot in all of his letters about getting the gospel to all people, training up leaders of all people. I think here he's, he's actually talking about men, specifically pastors, because he's making a strategic statement, okay? Not an exclusive statement. He's not saying, Timothy, only invest in training up 
male leaders. He's telling him, invest in training pastors because strategically, if you invest in pastors, they're going to invest in churches who are going to reach all people. And so I just want to take that principle and say, in the same way with college students, we just have a dream and a hope that the future leaders of our, of our nation and our world are on these campuses. So there, there's a, a strategic opportunity in reaching out to these students. They're at a stage in their life where they could be like these faithful men. They could, be, they could become faithful. They could become leaders that are leading uh, in the way of Jesus and not in the way of world. They could become these types of people. It's strategic. Where Caitlin and I live right now, we're, we're a couple mile uh, jog away from Camp Randall, the football stadium. And so one of my favorite things to do that just kind of keeps my heart beating towards the campus is I'll, I'll jog through the neighborhoods and then about two and a half miles in, I get to the stadium and it's kind of like a win-win because I get to take a break, take a breather, and I stand there and I pray. And I look out and from this view, what I'm able to see is I'm able to see the stadium kind of looming right here and then the Capitol looming in the distance. And as I look at those things, it's, guys, it's like the twin idols of this city. You have the stadium, it's like the, the idol of, of experience, right? The idol of pleasure, the idol of, of worshiping and, and the frenzy of just the, the experience. And then over at the Capitol, you have the idol of, of achievement and power and success. And I'm telling you, when students are going on campus, what they're being trained for and formed towards is to pursue that vision. That's, that's the vision of the university, is to form students into that image, to pursue that vision. And we want to come in with the, with the way of Jesus, the vision of Jesus, where he says, I want you to be the salt of the earth. Yeah, I want to send you out to make an impact as well, but I want you to make an impact not for yourself and not about success, but about me and about the good of the world, blessing it on my behalf. And so we just see an opportunity with these students. And so when, when I'm like running and praying, literally what I, what I pray is I look at this. John Calvin, he made this, he said this quote. He was a French theologian. He said, man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. Okay, so it's just in our nature to, to produce things to worship that aren't God. And so you can think of the university as an, as an idol factory, just churning out people that are going to worship things that aren't God. And so I see the university, and I pray for it, and I say, God, how, how can we turn this idol factory into a salt company? And I don't know if that's cheesy or catchy to you, but that's like actually what I pray, right? So cheesy, that's fine, but like literally, that, like I'm praying. Our, our college ministry is called the Salt Company because we're trying to see students meet Jesus and then walk into a way new vision for their life where they're worshiping him and they're trying to bless the world in his name. So there's this opportunity that we have and this hope that we have. Here's the third principle, impact, impact. And so Paul, what he says here is he says, invest in faithful men who will be able to teach others also. His whole vision, and, and you guys got to remember, like Paul is standing here at the beginning of a movement of the gospel that has continued to this day. And you can kind of just get in his head here and see what he's seeing. Paul is seeing generations of people, generations of leaders following Jesus and passing on the gospel to the next person, to the next person. His gospel impact that he saw, it depended on multiplication, people passing on their faith, leaders passing on their faith. And one of the things that's so exciting for us about having a heart for the next generation, specifically college student, is we're, we're getting the goers, okay? The people that are, that are coming to, to college campuses right now, the people that are coming to Madison, they're coming here to eventually go. They're coming here at a, at a unique time in their life where they're, they're wanting to be shaped and formed. Some of them are getting a fresh start with their identity and their formation. 
And we have an opportunity as a church family to come alongside them, form them with the gospel, and they're already going anyways, so we can now send them out with this brand new vision for gospel impact. And guys, this is how DOXA started. Like, that, what I was just sharing to you, that, that's how this church started. And so, just really quick, if you're somebody who's sitting here today, and you once were one of these college students that I'm talking about, and you actually moved to Madison to help start DOXA, can you just raise your hand so we can see that there's actually people in here? Raise a little bit higher so people can see. So, there's, there's people among us that, like, that was, that's, that was your story. That's what happened to you. You came to the campus to go, but when you actually left four years later, you left with a gospel vision for your life to make an impact. And so, guys, we talk about wanting to be a mother church and not a mega church. We hope Jesus reaches a ton of people in this city through our church, through every church that's preaching the gospel. But one of the things our hearts just beats for is sending out leaders and starting new churches. And so when people ask me, you know, a couple years from now, when we're able to, to send out our first church planning team, they ask, like, well, who's going who's to be on that? Who's, like, how are we going to have people to send and do that? Like, some of us just moved here. Like, who's going to come? And the number one thing I always tell them when I tell them who, and it's a perfect time to tell them right now, is, well, it's, it's Sunday right now, so that, that person, those people that are going to make up that launch team, they're probably hungover right now. They probably just moved in yesterday with their U-Haul. They don't know Jesus yet. They were out on campus yesterday. They're, probably, they're not here with us yet. But because we're a church family that is, that is committed to all people, but the next generation, they're going to meet Jesus during their four years. They're going to learn what it's like to be a part of a healthy church family. And they're going to get a gospel vision for their life and get sent out. And I say that with, with prayer and aspiration, but I say that from a place of reality because I know some of your stories in this room, and that is exactly what happened to you. So let's close this way, all right? That's the vision. That's, that's what it means when we say for the good of Madison, all people, even the vulnerable and forgotten, heart for the next generation, right? How are we going to do this? Okay, let's just close with, with thinking about that, and we'll look at, at these two verses, verse 1 and verse 2. Verse 1, I think what this shows us, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling Timothy, before you can kind of get to work and pass this on, like you have to be strengthened by grace yourself. You have to have a personal experience of the gospel that is lasting and overflowing through you. And so for us, Doxa, as a church family, we have to be a healthy family. We have to be a, a healthy church family. You even think about just the way that like adoption and foster care works. Part of the job of those workers is to determine if a family is healthy enough to receive a child that needs a home. And God, our Father, he's, he's looking down, and, and one of our prayers just needs to be as God, like, are we, are we ready to even take on the next generation in this city? Like, are, are we going to be a family that is, that is approved by you and, and ready? Are we going to be healthy enough? Are we going to be strengthened by grace, close enough to Jesus? Are we going to have the type of church that the next generation, young elementary school kids, middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, the, the millennials that are, that are moving here, are we going to be a church family that they can walk into and, and they, just, they just feel the health of the gospel coming off of us. They experience the grace, the humility, the patience. Like, is that going to be true of us? We need to be healthy. And then from that health, it's very simple, right? Verse 2, we need to just adopt and raise them up. 
We need to, to be a family. We need to do what families do. And so I even just have some examples of things that, that I've already seen happening of, of how you've been doing this with college students. And we can kind of dream and apply this to, to the rest of the next generation as our church continues to get older. So these are things that I've seen happening. And, and uh, some of you know that when you get a text from me, I'm about to ask you to do something to help us uh, with salt companies. So this is what I'm talking about. Like taking students out to lunch. Sometimes you, I've seen you and I've heard the stories of like after this service ends, you see a college student and you've taken them out to lunch. Providing meals for events. Like our, our salt company budget is in a much healthier place because the Doxa family has provided so many meals for things that we're doing. Giving money. Some of you from years ago have decided that in addition to just giving to the work of the church in general, you've been giving to, to salt company and our work there specifically. Giving students rides to church. Having students in, in your homes. There's students that have been babysitting for families and you've taken them in to be a part of your family. Providing camping equipment for our retreats. Some of you have gotten my finger on the shoulder about that a lot. I need it again in about a week. I'll reach out to you. Playing in our Salt Company band. Helping us tear down and set up on, on Thursday nights. There was a handful of you last year that actually uh, were connection group leaders for college students in Salt Company to help us get it started. Praying, counseling, discipling, mentoring, like the, the list goes on and on of the, of the way, and I'm just telling you what's already been true of you guys, that you have been a church family with a heart for the next generation and you've been raising them up. So as our family grows, guys, like I'm just, I'm giving this vision and putting it out in front of you to say it's happening already with college students. I can't wait to see what this looks like on, a, on an even bigger scale for the whole next generation of Madison. But let's keep our focus on the grace of Jesus to become the type of healthy family that as God brings people among us, we're ready to receive them. So this is how we're going to close. There's a, a prayer that, that a lot of us pray um, every morning at, at 10.02. Okay? So some of you guys are familiar with this. If you're not, here's what it is. So in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus, he looks out at just like these massive crowds of people and his observation is this. He says they're, they're harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. So God incarnate, Jesus himself, he's looking out at people and his heart is moved towards them. Everything I was saying about, you know, the university is forming students in this way, I'm not, I don't, don't leave being like, okay, so Ronnie thinks the university is evil. Like Satan, the devil is evil. And he's leading people astray, and we are harassed and helpless until God comes down into our world. And the way that God does it, so as Jesus looks out, he says, they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then rather than him saying, so I'm just going to go out and do everything, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send out workers into that harvest. He does it through us. God's chosen to work through his church, to work through his people, to make his church a family that can pass on the gospel within itself, but also reach out to the places that it exists to pass on the good news of Jesus to the next generation. And so would you guys stand with me? And we're actually going to pray uh, this, this 1002 prayer together as we head into a week of, of work on campus with Salt Company. So pray with me. God, first, we, we ask always, first and foremost, that that you would give us an experience of your love and your grace. Remind us now, even as, as we're, we're praying and heading into to singing in response to you, remind us of our own stories and what you did. Those people that reached out to us when we were in middle school, when we were 
a college student. God, the people that you sovereignly chose to send into our lives, thank you for them. Thank you for the the story that you've already written with Doxa of of being a church family that's committed to to the next generation and loving them with the gospel. God, help us to experience that gospel for ourselves and be strengthened by grace. But Lord, as as we look out to the world around us, God, specifically the campus this week, help us to have your eyes, Jesus. Help us to see the students that are, that are walking around um, the way that you see them and to move towards them in love. God, and as we do that, we, we know that we don't go on our own strength or with our own ability or with a, a cool message about ourselves, but we go with the message that you are, you are good, you are slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. We go with the message of the cross, the message of the gospel. And so we pray that prayer now and just ask God that you would raise up all of us You would raise us all up as workers and in whatever way that looks like for us to go out into the harvest, passing on the gospel to the next generation. And it's in your name we pray, amen.